Jake here. Thank you for taking a trip to the past with me. The original podcast version of The Americans will be released weekly, but if you don't want to wait, then go to jakebible.substack.com and become a paid subscriber. You'll receive access to all of The Americans as well as early release novels, audiobooks, and other exclusive extras. That's jakebible.substack.com. Now enjoy the original podcast production of The Americans. Cheers. Warning. This podcast reading is for mature audiences only. You will not be warned again. Welcome to the podcast reading of Jake Bible's The Americans, book two in the Dead Mech Apex Trilogy. The Americans is a sidequel to Dead Mech, meaning it takes place simultaneously with book one. You can listen to this novel first or start with Dead Mech. Go to jakebible.com for more information on this podcast, Dead Mech, and other fiction by Jake Bible. Enjoy. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of The Americans. Sorry there wasn't an episode last week. I was completely redoing our entire tech arrangement in the house. So, um, well, basically we were shut down for a weekend. So there was just no way I was going to be able to get anything out. So, well, there's one this week. So isn't that great? Isn't that excellent? Um, anyway, a couple things to say. Once again, of course, thanks for, you know, listening. Thanks for all the support out there. Uh, Dead Mech, if you haven't purchased your copy of Dead Mech yet, go to Kindle, go to barnesandnoble.com, go for their Nook. Um, you can go to Smashwords. It's currently $3.99, $3.99, people. But... I may be bumping it up to $4.99 starting in April. So if you want to get in on the dollar less price right now, you need to go do that. And, you know, support some independent published authors. I am independently publishing Dead Mac, if you didn't know that. I'm putting it out there on Kindle. I'm going to be doing the print run myself. Um, just because, you know, I, I needed to kind of take control of this puppy. Because I'm a control freak. That's just me. And, um, yeah. So, anyway, hey, get out there. If you haven't bought um, Dead Mech yet, go for it. Go get it for $3.99. It's available on Kindle. You can, of course, go to jakebible.com. And there are links on there under the page that says Buy the Fiction. Um, also, speaking of buying Dead Mech, if you purchased it during the Kindle Rush on March 1st, make sure you send me that receipt. Okay? I need to see it so that I can enter you in the contest of a lifetime so you have a chance to win a free signed novel for the rest of my life. That means every novel I put out there, I will send you a free one if you're the grand prize winner. And I will sign it, personalize it, until you die or I die. Either way. So, you know, there's death involved. You know, what you going to do? You can't, you can't avoid it. So make sure you guys email me your receipts so that you're entered into that. Um, I think really all that's left is the promos. There are going to be promos at the end. You got to listen to them. All right. Support, support, support some good podcasts and some good people out there. Definitely do that. And speaking of supporting good people, uh, Scott Sigler is having his all-star um, pre-order. I believe that is going to be on April 1st. Um, go to scottsigler.com for all that information. Hey, 
Mr. Sigler has supported the hell out of me um, since I've been podcasting and writing. So, you know, let's give him some props. If you came to me from Sigler, uh, then you know all about this. If you came to me from zombie things or other authors or however, and you don't know Scott Sigler, go to scottsigler.com and check him out. He's got some groovy, groovy novels out there. And um, he's a podcasting mofo. So, you know, you can listen to stuff if you like. And I think that's about it. Don't forget, listen to promos. Go buy some dead mech. Get your contest entry into me. And I think that's about it. Hope you enjoy this week's episode. Um, Yeah. Cheers, y'all. Chapter 7 From the moment Corporal Stevens received word that Commander Arthur LaFont of His Majesty's Royal Guard was at the front gate to the moment the man walked into General Fitzroy's office. The entire base went from everyday readiness to full alert. To the casual observer, the change wouldn't have been evident, but to the trained eye of Commander LaFont, it was alarming and quite impressive. I'm just one man, General, LaFont said, extending his hand as Stevens shut the office door behind him. I think the call to arms might be a bit over the top, don't you think? We're Americans, Commander, the general responded, giving the man's hand a good pump before dropping it and offering LaFont a seat next to Colonel Masterson. Over the top is how we're born. Yes, quite, LaFont grinned coldly. He turned to look at Colonel Masterson. It's good to see you again, Colonel. Commander, Blue nodded. Still drinking that crappy 18-year-old ass squeezings you call scotch? Not anymore, LaFont laughed. I've since found a 20-year-old that has extra taint flavor, just the way you like it. The room filled with the hollow laughter of the three veteran soldiers, then silence. So, Commander LaFont, the Prime Minister has informed me that you are here to take command of my base, General Fitzroy said. Will this be after you pry my dead cold hands open or before? Preferably neither, General, the commander responded. We don't want bloodshed or violence. We all know what you Americans are capable of, and no one wants to go to war with you. Plus, the king hasn't coordinated this with any of the other monarchies, so as far as I know, all bases on the continent are active and without restriction, which would put us at a great disadvantage should you call for reinforcements. That's a lot of info to throw our way, Commander, Blue said, not buying any of it. I'd think your higher-ups would want you to be a little more discreet. On the contrary, Colonel Masterson, Commander LaFont responded, I'm here in the spirit of openness, since there is the distinct possibility that Americans are involved in the earlier violence of today. I assure you, Fitzroy started, let me finish, General, LaFont insisted. I am not going to be taking over your base. I am here to facilitate the recall of all family combat units from the field and to oversee their speedy return to your base. That is all we are asking while these issues are being investigated. Bullshit, Blue snarled. Blue, Fitzroy warned. I understand what you are saying, but let's not kid each other, Arthur. While you aren't taking control of the base, you are taking control of our jurisdiction and confining us to our base. Really, we're just saving you the hassle and expense of building a new prison. LaFont smiled slightly, debating his response. Oh, why cock it all up? Yes, General, that is exactly what is happening. I have six divisions at the ready if I need them. I am hoping I don't need them. Six divisions? I wasn't aware the king had that manpower at his disposal, 
General Fitzroy leaned back in his chair, steepling his fingers precisely one at a time. You won't have any resistance, Commander. I give you my word. Corporal! The corporal was in the office before the last syllable of his name was off the general's lips. Yes, sir? Please set up Commander LaFont with whatever he needs, and make sure there's a room ready for him in the officer's complex. Already done, sir, Stevens responded. Commander LaFont's trunk has been placed in his quarters, and we have a data station set up in the office next door for him to use. General Fitzroy smiled and extended his hand. I hope that is adequate, Commander. More than, General, the commander said, shaking Fitzroy's hand once again and giving a quick salute. The general returned the salute. Thank you, General Fitzroy. I'll be sure and keep you up to date on the findings of our investigation. Yeah, you do that, Fitzroy said. Oh, and Commander, let's not forget I have lost people today also, okay? That really sticks in my craw. Understand? The commander nodded and left the room. Stevens closing the door after him. This is total bullshit, Blue cursed. We've been grounded like little fucking kids. Actually, this is perfect, Blue, the general smiled. Now everything is out of our hands. We don't need to make a single move except to defend ourselves. We'll have everyone at the ready if this all goes south. You mean further than it already has? Yes. Now let's hope you know what the fuck you're doing and all your plans work out the way they are supposed to. Get whatever ghosts you have out there ready to respond at a second's notice. Will do, sir, Blue said, saluted and left, leaving the general to his troubled thoughts. Wow, Beth said in awe. That is incredible. They all stood on the riverbank admiring Billy's handiwork. You sure that thing will stay afloat? Melissa asked, skeptical of the small watercraft Billy had put together from the scrap BC they all scrounged along the waterfront. It'll float and it'll move, Billy said. I'm useless in combat nowadays, but I used to while away the hours between fixes by studying people's cast-off dataplasts. I'm up on pretty much all the new vehicle designs. I've always kept that part of me sharp. The drive engine I put in this thing will outrun anything the LOMSD might have out there patrolling. Speaking of fixes, how are you feeling? Heather asked. Can you drive this thing? Billy shrugged. I just took something. Nothing big, but it'll keep the edge off. What did you take? You aren't going to sink us out there thinking you're fighting sea monsters or anything, are you? Heather smiled. Nah. Billy's eyes grew sad and his shoulders dropped. I'm so far gone, Heather, that it really doesn't matter what I take. It's all just to keep me from getting sick. I haven't actually been high in years. Good, Melissa snarled. I'd hate for a worthless piece of shit like you to get any pleasure from your life. She stepped onto the sleek metal boat. You guys coming? Beth put her hand out and Melissa helped her aboard. Billy put his hand out, but Melissa ignored it. Really? She snapped. Billy jumped awkwardly on and went to help Heather, but the ghost was already next to him before he could even turn. <laughs> I've forgotten how fast you are, he laughed. Never fast enough, she said quietly, and they shared a short, sad look. Let's go, Melissa barked. Yes, boss, Billy responded. Right away, boss. Heather began to cough. You okay? Beth asked. Heather once again doubled over and heaved more thick fluid. Twice as much came spewing from her mouth, and Beth had to actually grab onto her to keep her from falling over the side of the boat. Move! Melissa snapped, shoving Beth aside and helping Heather sit on the deck. What's going on, Heather? I don't know, she gasped. This isn't BC repair. 
This is something different. You think, Melissa responded with a mix of sarcasm and concern. Could it have to do with what's in the case? Beth asked. Maybe whatever was in there got in you when you were shot. The case seals itself up, Melissa said. Weren't you paying attention? Stop it, Mel. She's just trying to help, Heather said, her breathing coming more even. Go see what's taking Billy so long to get the engine going. Melissa glared at Beth and Heather and then stomped off into the cabin. She didn't always used to be queen bitch, Heather said, getting to unsteady feet. She has as long as I've known her, Beth said. That's right, you two go to school together, Heather said, taking a slow, deep breath. I think she's mentioned you before. She's mentioned me? Don't ask for details. I'm always a little preoccupied with them work, so I don't pay attention as much as I should. Heather's face grew alarmed. Jesus, fuck, what about your parents? They must be freaked out by now. Foster parents, Beth responded. They don't give a shit unless the kingdom changes their credit allotment. Oh, sorry. Beth shrugged. It is what it is. Kind of weird finding out I'm an American, sort of like those old fairy tales. Hopefully this one has a happy ending, Heather smiled. None of the real ones ever did, Beth said solemnly. Usually somebody ends up with their eyes plucked out or near death in a glass casket. Hello there, a voice called from the riverbank. Going somewhere? Beth and Heather looked to the shadowed figure on the bank waving. The first shot went just wide of Beth's head, taking a short lock of hair with it. Heather shoved her to the deck. Billy, we need to go now! Reginald had Beth in his sights for the last minute and was just waiting for Mr. Stone to give the signal. Oh, such a waste of young life. Sigh. When Mr. Stone began to call out and wave, Reginald took his shot. To say he was embarrassed that he missed would be an understatement. He hadn't compensated for the undulation of the boat on the Thames as another boat further out went by. He chambered a second round, but Beth was already out of sight. He switched targets to the ghost and squeezed the trigger. Heather's head rocked back as the bullet tore into her left eye and exited out the back of her skull. Beth screamed as she was sprayed with blood and gray matter. Then Beth's scream caught in her throat as she watched the massive hole in Heather's head quickly close up and a milky orb replace the green one that had just been vaporized. Heather sank to her knees as Billy got the drive going and the boat rocketed forward. Reginald pulled the scope away from his eye and frowned. That was strange. Did I miss again? Mr. Stone opened fire. Not sure why Reginald's shot didn't take the ghost out. He ran along the bank, replacing one magazine with another as fast as he could, hoping at least one of his shots would find a mark. He stopped as soon as the boat was clearly out of range, his lungs burning from the exertion. He watched the boat fade away into the night mist. Reginald, he called over his calm. Sorry about that, Mr. Stone, Reginald responded. Not sure what happened there. Me neither, Mr. Stone said, turning and walking gingerly back to where Reginald was positioned. I think I twisted my ankle on a rock or bit of driftwood. Well, sorry to hear that. Do, do you need some help? No, I'm fine. Just call this in and have the satellites tasked to track the boat, Mr. Stone said. Hopefully it isn't cloaked. If it is, have the techs look for a dull spot on the scan. That should tell us where they're at. Will do, Stone. Again, sorry about missing the shot. You didn't miss, Reginald. I don't know what happened, but you didn't miss. Corporal! 
General Fitzroy called. Let Commander LaFont know I have put the order out for all FCUs to close up shop and return to base. Have communications tally the responses. Let me know if we have any stragglers. Yes, sir, Corporal Stevens responded. Roll her on her side, Melissa shouted while Beth just sat there stunned, watching the liquid spew from Heather's mouth. Are you fucking listening? Beth couldn't move. She heard Melissa, but she was frozen to the spot, the sight of the viscous fluid mesmerizing her. Melissa shoved her aside and rolled Heather over, letting the red-black goo slide easier from between Heather's lips. The fuck is this shit? Melissa cried out. It smells horrible. What's going on back there? Billy called from the cabin. Is Heather all right? No, she's puking up sludge. Melissa turned on Beth. What happened? She, she had her brains blown out. Beth stammered. Melissa checked the back of Heather's head and found no sign of any type of wound. The hell are you jabbering about? There's no exit wound. Look at her eye. The bullet went through there. Beth shivered. Then out her head. Look at me. Melissa could see the bits of bone and brain matter splattered across Beth's already soiled clothes. She lifted Heather's right eyelid, exposing a normal green eye, then lifted her left lid and gasped. Jesus, fuck! See? Beth said. I don't know how, but her head healed. It almost looked like it was healing as the damage was happening. One second there was a hole, then the next there wasn't. Ugh, Heather gurgled. Shh, Melissa soothed. Just stay still. Heather convulsed in an incredible volume of sludge disgorged from her mouth, then slowed to a trickle and stopped. Heather's breathing began to normalize, and soon her eyes fluttered open, both now green. Whoa, Melissa said. That eye was just full-on white. What? Heather wheezed. What happened? Fuck if I know, Melissa answered. Freak here said you had your brains blown out. You look fine to me. She did! Beth yelled. I watched the bullet rip through her fucking head and come out the back. Look! Look at me! I have all over me! Beth balled up her fists in anger, her body shaking with uncontrollable rage as she got to her feet. Don't call me freak again! I swear I'll fucking kill you! Melissa grinned. Fine. No more freak. As long as you promise to keep up the attitude and don't bring back pussy Laughlin. Have to agree, Heather smiled weakly. I, I prefer the backbone version. You people are insane, Beth shouted. Will someone tell me what the fuck is going on? Billy called from the cabin. Fucking hello! Let's not make the junkie worry here, please. Chapter 8 Again? Director Gynes shouted over the comm. You are supposed to be my best agent, Mr. Stone, yet you have done nothing but disappoint me today. I understand, sir. Mr. Stone replied, I have to admit my performance has been less than stellar. Less than stellar? How about an all-out motherfucking failure? And that might be a bit harsh, sir, but you are the boss, Mr. Stone responded. Director Gein took a deep breath and held it, then slowly released it, letting the air hiss between his teeth. What am I going to do with you, Stone? Well, first, Reginald and I will need a boat. Mr. Stone said. Preferably a fast one. Second, well, you're getting fuck all is what you're getting, Agent, Gein growled. I should have Reginald put a bullet between your eyes right now. Mr. Stone didn't respond, locking eyes with his partner. Reginald gave him a quizzical look, but Stone just shook his head. 
Did that get your attention, Agent Stone? Gein laughed. It's sobering knowing you are expendable, isn't it? Director Gein thought for a moment, then grunted. I'm calling in the spiders. Stay where you are, Stone. I'll send them to you. They'll suck a few facts from your brain. It will hurt immensely, and then they will be on their way. Hopefully they can finish the job that you couldn't. Of course, sir, Mr. Stone responded soberly, if that is what you feel the situation warrants. Fuck you, Stone, the director disconnected. How bad? Reginald asked. Spiders, Mr. Stone responded. Oh, we really bollocksed it all up, didn't we? Reginald grimaced. They don't send spiders when it all goes right, Reginald, Mr. Stone growled. He slammed his fist against his thighs. Fuck all! Blue Masterson's calm beeped on his personal channel. Charlie? That you? Dad! Charlie Masterson cried. They! Snipers! Everyone! Reinforcements! Charlie? What's going on? Charlie! Static squawked in Blue's calm and he winced. Charlie! The connection was lost and Blue Masterson found himself scared for the first time in a very long time. Come on, you fucking jacks! Take what's coming to you! The leader of the mob yelled from the street. You think you can kill innocents and get away with it? Fuck you! Another man stepped forward, holding a crate of bottles, rags stuffed in the neck of each. The mob swarmed him, hands yanking the bottles from the crate and setting fire to the rags. Almost as one, the mob threw the burning bottles at the small house, flames engulfing the roof and siding. Burn, you fucking jacks! Burn in hell! Inside, Tabitha Shepard hurried the children down the stairs and into the basement. They've set the house afire, she yelled down to her husband, Dell. Fuck, he cursed, yanking the door to their safe room open. I can't get B.O.P. either. System is overloaded. I think every family unit in the U.K. is trying to report in at once. The sound of breaking glass could be heard above as Tabitha followed the twins and Albert, their oldest, into the safe room. Not like they can do anything anyway with that mob, she called. She looked at the scared eyes of her children. The twins, Barbara and Russell, only four years old, clutched at each other as they leapt onto their cot and pulled the blanket tight about them. Albert, seven, sat at the comm console and popped out his right eye, grabbing the ocular jack and plugging it into the empty socket. Birth abnormalities, common among Americans considering their use of in vitro genetic engineering, were never wasted and always used to their full advantage. It's just the heat from the fire shattering the glass, Albert called out, the ocular jack giving him instant cerebral access to the hollow cams stationed about the house. That's everything, Dell said, shutting and securing the three-foot-thick door behind him. He turned and looked at his family. We're in here until they come to get us. What if they don't, Daddy? Russell asked, trying to be brave. We have enough food and water to last us for three weeks, Dell said, smiling. We'll be fine. Step away from the ship, the voice boomed over the loudspeaker. Do not approach! We will open fire! They aren't listening, sir, Darren McCauley said, setting the handset aside and looking towards his Aunt Fiona. Then open fire, Darren, Fiona responded. We can't afford to lose this boat to an angry mob. Aunt Fee, but those are civilians, Darren cried. The sound of gunfire erupted and bullets began to ricochet off the Klondike's biochrome hull. They were civilians, Darren, Fiona said, setting her fourth loaded shotgun down on the table in front of her and picking up an empty fifth. Now they are armed combatants. Open fire. Darren hesitated for a moment. 
Do it now, boy, Fiona yelled. This is a direct order. Darren plunged his hands into the ship's weapons console, the jack points on his forearms instantly making contact, giving him full access to more than enough firepower. God help us, he whispered as he activated the fifty caliber turrets and fired round after round after round into the crowd of attacking civilians. Despite the noise and vibrations caused by the big guns, Darren could distinctly feel and hear the Klondike's engines starting up. Where are we going, Aunt Fee? Darren asked, adjusting the cooling units, keeping the guns from overheating and jamming. We got orders, Fiona said, manning the helm and bringing the Klondike slowly away from the dock. She winced at the sound of every ricocheting bullet and impact against the ship's hull. We're heading back to base. All FCUs have been recalled. Why are they attacking us? Darren asked, but his aunt didn't hear him, too busy trying to navigate the choked waterway. Darren felt as if he was going to be sick as he watched people he had considered neighbors and friends collapse and die at his hands, their blood, guts, and brains splattered across the dock's wooden planks. Neither American saw the incoming rocket until it was too late. Jonathan Martin stripped the bum of his clothes and, taking on the gait of a drunk, stumbled out of the alleyway into the crush of people on the sidewalk. He bumped into a few, playing the part to the hilt, until he was sure the LOMSD shadows had dismissed him and moved on through the crowd. He kept trying to activate his comm, but nothing would go through. Being a ghost and free of jackpoints, he knew the LOMSD's tech wasn't going to pick him up on their scans, but if he was careless, then the face wreck would nab him the second he was caught on a holocam. He pulled the hood of the soiled jacket closer around his face and ducked his head as he took the next corner, coming face to muzzle with a Linehauser 12 auto pistol. Hello, Jack, a voice growled from behind the auto pistol pointed at Jonathan's nose. And goodbye, Jack. Blue burst into the communications, his blood boiling, ready for war. Get me Charlie Masterson's comm signal now, he shouted. One of the comm techs began the search, grew puzzled, tried harder, then pushed away from his console. We're locked out. What? Blue said. How can that be? We're a closed system. Nothing can lock us out. They'd have to physically be... Motherfucker. Yes, your highness, Commander LaFont said into his comm. I have activated the protocol. I have maybe five minutes until they discover what I have done. He listened intently. Yes, of course. If the LOM plants are in place throughout the kingdom and have already instigated riots against the Jacks, then the days of American military dominance have finally come to an end. God bless you, your highness. I thank you for this honor. All for king and country. Corporal, General Fitzroy called. Stevens, where the fuck are you? Frustrated, the general pushed away from his desk and stalked to his office door. God damn it, Stevens! What the hell are you? He stared at the corporal's unseeing eyes, the mind spike jutting from between them, and the pool of blood that was already congealing on the desk around his assistant's head. Oh, God, Stevens! Decades of military training told him his calm wouldn't work even as he went through the motions to activate it. He stepped back into his office and locked and sealed the door. Moving to his liquor cabinet, he shoved the bottles aside and pulled at the back, revealing a small panel. Pressing his thumb to the panel, he felt a quick prick of pain as his temperature and DNA signature were verified, and half the wall slid away. Fitzroy stripped down to his skivvies, revealing a well-toned body covered in scars and jack points. He stepped to the wall and pulled out his personal shock suit, activating it immediately. 
Stepping into the suit, the biochrome sealed about him, fusing with the jack points that were in turn fused to his bones and nervous system. He rolled his neck, loosening it, before he activated the helmet and face shield. Oh, Commander LaFont, he growled, I am so going to fuck you up. Seal the door, Blue ordered. No one in or out. One of the techs activated the lockdown procedure. Nothing. Um, Colonel, I, I don't even have basic functions anymore, the tech said. Check your jackport, the second tech advised. I did, the first tech replied. My jackports are functioning fine. It's the system. Son of a bitch, Blue yelled, moving to the door and placing his hands against it. He narrowed his eyes and concentrated, melting and shifting the thick BC doors until their mass sealed off the doorway. That will hold him. Hold who, sir? Another tech asked. The six divisions that are about to overtake this base, Blue snarled. Now get your little brains together and open a radio channel for me. Radio, sir? As in radio waves? A tech asked. No, as in radio fucking flowers. Yes, radio waves. They have our comms shut down, but they'll never think of radio. All I need is a couple minutes. One of the techs deported his jacks and ripped open the panel below his console. Someone hand me some pliers and I need a soldering gun if we have it. The hell's a soldering gun? Another tech asked. I can do it, Blue said, crouching next to the tech. What do you need connected? See the white with red and black with yellow? Yeah, I need those fused together on that node right there. Blue grasped the wires between his fingers and melted them both into the node as indicated. Done and done. The tech stood up and reported. There was a loud squelch and hiss of static over the speakers. You have an open channel, sir. I do mean open. Everything you say will be heard by anyone listening. Understood. What's your name, son? Nestor, sir. That your first name or last name? Last name, sir. Good. Otherwise, I'd have to punch your parents. Blue cleared his throat and spoke up. Attention all Americans listening to this. Suffolk Base is under attack by the LOM and by the Royal Guard. I do not know the state of the other bases on the continent, but as of right now, all Americans within this kingdom are at war. This is Colonel Masterson. I am giving you full authority to use whatever force necessary to ensure your survival and the survival of any Americans with you. Buck their shit up and send them to hell. Blue looked over at Nestor. How was that? Not bad, sir. Are we really at war? Fucking A, right we are! General Fitzroy ripped the door out of the wall, his shock suit barely registering a strain. Hello, General, LaFont said before emptying his pistol into Fitzroy's midsection. The general stumbled back, stunned, then collapsed to his knees. His shock suit began to disengage and pull away from his body. Clutching at his stomach, he looked down and was surprised by the amount of blood streaming between his fingers. What? Didn't you think I would expect shock suits? Commander LaFont said. These bullets could pierce BC ten times as thick as your suit. You fucking little prick, Fitzroy gasped. My people will fight to the death. They won't get a chance, General, LaFont smirked. I lied about the six divisions. There isn't a single trooper coming to take this base. He pulled a small box from his pocket and flicked it open. A single button was set inside. I know it's kind of retro in look, but it was easy to get past all scanners. The nuke in my trunk was a little harder to conceal, but the yellow MSD has quite a few tricks up their sleeve lately and helped me on that front. The general's vision began to darken, and he slumped onto his side. You'll rot in hell. 
Probably, but I'm sure I'll have some good company there, LaFont said, kneeling next to Fitzroy while he depressed the button, holding it in. Goodbye, General. The General spat a wad of bloody mucus in LaFont's face. Fuck! But his breath was gone before he could finish. Colonel Masterson? Yes, Private Nestor? Um, Geiger sensors just went through the roof. Geiger? You mean nuclear? Yes, sir. Something just activated. Blue didn't hesitate for a second, raising his arms above his head. Everyone on me! Hold on! The techs, four of them, all deported and rushed for Blue. Personal space issues pushed aside as they grabbed onto the colonel wherever they could. Every ounce of BC in the room began to vibrate, then rushed towards the huddled group. God save the king, LaFont whispered as he let go of the button, detonating the compact nuclear device hidden in his trunk. been listening to the podcast reading of Jake Bible's The Americans. This novel and recording are protected under whatever latest, greatest Creative Commons license is out there currently. Share this all you want. Just don't even try to make a buck off it without the express permission of the author, me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please go to jakebible.com. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of the re-release of the original podcast production of The Americans. Don't want to wait each week for a new episode? Go to jakebible.substack.com and become a paid subscriber. Want more audiobooks? Go to jakebible.com for info and access to dozens of Jake Bible fiction audiobooks and ebooks. Cheers.